Welcome to Onward, the show where we explore emerging social innovations and chat with social innovators. I'm your host, Daniel Weinsman. Welcome back to season two. Last season got some great feedback, so in season two, I'm coming at you with a revised format some great new content, and hopefully a much improved listener experience. In this episode, I am stepping far outside my content expertise or understanding. Today, we will be exploring the world of style and beauty. Now, this is not a space where I think most of us think about when we hear the words innovation, but I want to challenge that and challenge myself. Typically, I've understood the world of beauty and fashion and style to be pretty exploitative. And I've come across some pretty interesting approaches to this industry that's really flipping the script, trying to change it from a world that monetizes exploitation to a world that monetizes empowerment. So in this episode, I'm talking to two style and beauty innovators who are changing the way that consumers interface with their products, that their products are developed, and the impact not just on the consumers or on their employees, but also on the environment. This triple bottom line approach to business that's been applied in many different industries is giving me hope and is spurring more interest than I have ever had before in the world of style and beauty. To help me explore and understand this world, I am joined by two awesome innovators. The first, Malia Anderson, who owns and operates Style by Malia. Style by Malia is a dream that I probably had when I was 10 years old. Um, I work with lots of men and women who are exciting, you know, spirited, accomplished, passionate people who wear bad clothes. And I take all of that that they feel inside and I put it into what they look like on the outside. So is this um, about confidence or uh, professional perception? It's It's about a lot of things. I think that people, I think that part of the problem we have in the world today is that people are just not confident about who they are. And that people just don't show up the way they're supposed to show up. So what I do is help people show up. Um, And if in showing up to be your best self, you gain some confidence from that. Absolutely. But I empower people to show up and be their best selves without having to worry about what they look like. So I handle the clothes. They handle everything else and then it's a marriage made in awesomeness i learned a ton about style and clothing and perception when i sat down with malia more on that later i also want to introduce you to the man who talked to me about beauty beauty products makeup and the beauty industry stefan jean baptiste of creole essence so we produce natural and ethical beauty products with ingredients from haiti um, our focus is, is really offering uh, highly effective natural beauty products with ingredients uh, as we source in Haiti for those suffering from dry and damaged hair, 
um, as well as skill elements. So, you know, we really try to also have a particular focus of the much ignored segment of consumers, uh, which are those looking for highly, high quality, clean, and effective solutions for their textured hair. So as noted, so our signature ingredient is we started the company with our signature ingredient, which is Haitian black castle oil. This is something within the Haitian community that, that we've used for generations. It's, it's a medicinal, curative, and, and, and beauty secret that, you know, mothers and daughters and aunts and, uh, and grandmothers pass on and, and use it as a core remedy. So this was an opportunity for us to see, okay, hey, this is a key ingredient in our culture, in our community. Why aren't we using it as an opportunity to, to reshape that narrative of Haiti. So for me, uh, I, you know, I guess my background is as a storyteller, as a marketer. Um, and so I, I just really saw this as an opportunity to help reshape and reach uh, the narrative of Haiti through our wonderful ingredients and our botanical uh, uh, value that we offer to the world. Um, I think for our consumers, one of the things I, I feel excited about and I feel that our customers share with us is essentially that, that liberation and that pride of finding something that they can, again, further carry and share their culture with their kids, um, with their family, um, and then also aid them in their own self-care and beauty journey. So helping those battling things like eczema, regrowing their hair after chemo, or even having beauty aids to make them feel better about themselves. So those are some of the things that even directly comes from our customers, and I'm like, wow, like, you know, we started this project, and it's it's great to show, to see essentially the the, the health and the importance of, of what it's what it's doing for others. One of the reasons I love doing this podcast is it provides me the opportunity to get in conversation with folks like Malia and Stefan. Yes, they're entrepreneurs. Yes, they're innovators. But the way they go about it and speak to their projects, their products, their impact is through this lens through this focus on the emotional health, the mental health of their clients and customers. And also central to their visions is the importance of culture, the culture of self, the culture of their communities, and also honoring their roots and bringing that to the masses, not in an exploitative, appropriative way, but in a way that honors where they came from. As Malia and I and Stefan and I talked, it became apparent that the onus behind this work is not so much about style or beauty per se, but it's about instilling confidence, honoring their cultures, and asserting their individuality and that of their clients and consumers. Before we went too far into the innovations and what they're doing specifically in the space, I also want to touch on, most important to me, the why. If I really thought about who Malia was when she was 15 versus who Malia is at 40, those are two totally different people. Mm -hmm. And what I think really inspired me to get confident about who I am was it had something to do with fashion. Um, I accidentally became a runway model. That is the oddest thing that's ever happened to me. That last comment need some context around it. I'm sitting across from a woman who is over six foot tall, plus size, and has a very dark skin. She is not your typical runway model, bearing little resemblance to Heidi Klum or Giselle. Anyways, back to Malia's story. Um, I was working backstage at a fashion show, and this was in the 90s. There was no plus size models. 
I was working and I was working backstage steaming clothes and the director came back and said, what size shoe do you wear? And I said, we're a 10. And he's like, great, you're going on the runway. And I said, what? I don't, I'm not a model. And I mean, they literally dragged me kicking and screaming into a makeup chair because the person who was supposed to model in the show didn't show up and they didn't have time to get anybody else. But it was a very poignant part of the show. Uh Um, And they put me on a runway. And by the time I got to the end of the runway, I was like, oh, this is the jam. This is what I'm doing forever. And it really changed my thought processes about what, who I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to show up, and really gave me an eye-opening experience to what, you know, confidence felt like and what empowerment felt like. And um, living your best life and living on your own terms. Sitting across from Malia, it's obvious that she loves what she does. Given who she is and how she perceived herself, she never envisioned that this career was an opportunity that she could fit in. Yet she is thriving. Thank goodness for that chance encounter at the runway. She is now strutting her stuff 24-7. But more importantly than strutting her stuff, she moves through this world with confidence and lights up everybody that interacts with her. Now let's jump back to Stefan and see what sparked him to become an innovator in the realm of beauty. So the, the company was actually started with uh, with my, my, my business partner and my partner, Iskar, um, where we, she experienced what we dubbed a, a hair catastrophe. Uh, you know, she uh, was getting ready for an event and, you know, uh, in the process of straightening her hair, they applied too much heat. You know, that, that really encouraged her to identify a signature ingredient in our culture, in our community that would have helped regrow her hair and, and just really get it back to the, the lushness that she knew it <laughs> as. Um, you know, and, and, and that signature ingredient was our Haitian black castor oil. Um, and, you know, when she brought me on board with the project, you know, we went out and we saw, like, I, again, as Haitian American, I was actually born in Haiti, raised in the States. Um, I was familiar with it. I grew up with it myself. And so we saw an opportunity to export something that, that is so tried and true in our culture from Haiti um, and, and, and share it with the world. With that, it, it took essentially the work to understand the supply chain in Haiti. And we saw an opportunity not only to create and, and share a wonderful beauty product, but we can also create work in Haiti for the women that are traditionally processing this in addition to the farmers that essentially rely on the trade and the supply chain of castor seeds and other great botanical ingredients in Haiti for their livelihood. Um, so, you know, we saw this as a wonderful opportunity to focus on the socioeconomic uh, viability of Haiti, um, in addition to the uh, agriculture, the agronomy of, of, the, of the country as well. Isgar and Stefan turned this hair catastrophe into a product that is promoting cultural pride, that is creating economic resilience in the developing world, and is helping women of color love their hair. But wait, there's more. So on the farming side, we we roughly employ and and, and directly impact about 300 farmers. And so that's the supply chain of cultivating the seeds, um, growing the seeds, and, and essentially sourcing the seeds. Um, on the production side, in Haiti, uh, we're impacting, directly impacting. Anytime we turn on the lights to produce, you know, it's about 50, uh, 50 to 60 women um, and men that, that work with us to essentially hand, 
handcraft and produce our castor oil in addition to other botanical oils like our moringa oil that we source out of Haiti, um, in addition to um, our Haitian Vichy bears. So those are, you know, some of the three signature ingredients that, that we're sourcing right now and, and working hands-on with the agriculture community. The problem that Creole Essence is solving is multifold, and they're going about it by their sourcing and their organizational practices. Back to Malia, where she's explained the problem that she is working on solving and her approach to it. Fashion is a part of a billion-dollar industry that is meant for people, men and women, to hate themselves. Right. Yeah. So you're not enough. You don't. You're look not enough. the GQ model. You're not right. the Vogue model. And and guess what? Those people aren't those people either. Right. So you know. I mean, Naomi Campbell is beautiful, but Naomi Campbell doesn't wake up in the morning looking like Naomi Campbell. Mm -hmm. You know, neither does Beyonce or The Rock or, you know, Jason Momoa. We wish they all did, but they're regular people. Right. And, you know, they have a team of people to make them look a certain way. If I had a team of people every single day that made me look a certain way before I left the house, then I would be a walking, talking Glam, glam bot walking down the street. <laughs> That's not how real life works. Yeah. Um, and so when I think of what I do, I think of it from a place of how can I use clothes? How can I use fashion? How can I use um, this industry to really help people find themselves? Yeah. You know? Most people don't think they're good enough to wear great things. And that's crap. I mean, that's what the industry has told us for years, you know, that if you're a little black girl from the hood, you're not supposed to wear Chanel. Well, I'm a little black girl from the hood who wears Chanel because I work for it. And I think that we we take those things into ourselves far too much. We let this industry tell us who we're supposed to be. And until I'm a size two, I'm worthless. Well, you know what? I'm worth a lot more at a size 22 than I ever was at a size two. So, you know, you can't, you don't get to dictate to me. So once I stopped listening to those ideas, um, I, I found empowerment. I found confidence. Yeah. Part of the subtext to this conversation that we were having seemed to be that everyone is beautiful. Everyone can feel powerful. And that clothing, that appearance is one way to go about it, and you don't have to fit the mold. All right, we're going to take a deep breath and pivot to the financials. How big exactly is this industry? Even in the recession, the beauty, market, the beauty industry continues to, to rise and increase. You know, I think the last numbers that we had, it was like, okay, hey, this is a $10 billion industry. Itself. And we're just talking about just beauty. Um, and, you know, even within that, you do see a segment of that natural beauty space increasingly, exponentially year after year. Um, you know, and then it's something that we're consumers, like, what's that, that saying? Like, whether that's your poverty or it's your last dollar, you're going to buy that last lipstick, you know, to make sure that you feel good about self. Um, and, and you essentially connect with that emotions and that pride that that, that self-journey and that self-care provides you. Uh, through beauty. The beauty products industry, makeup and cosmetics, pulls in over $62 billion annually. The fashion industry 
pulls in over $481 billion annually, with that number in both camps expected only to rise. With that amount of capital, these markets have the ability to impact culture in powerful ways. So let's listen to some of the trends that are pushing these industries to become better social corporate partners. The fashion industry right now is going through this idea that is, you know, in my opinion, 20 years, you know, too late, which is inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. It's the idea that everybody should be included. And the fashion industry has never included really women of size, yeah. you know, people of color, um, you know, those kinds of things. But all of a sudden the fashion industry is like, no, we're hip. We're cool. We're with it. You know, we want to, we want to make clothes for size, you know, 24, 26, 28. The thing is, is that the plus size fashion market drove that. Hmm. So the plus size fashion market that's been making clothes for size 12 to 28 for years is a multi-billion dollar industry, Right. So now all these clothing lines that have only been making from size double zero to size 16 are going, well, wait a minute, there's billions to be made. Right. So we're going to go ahead and make clothes for size zero to 20. Well, what happens with that is, is that you realize you're still leaving money on the table. This is business. So now they're going to make clothes for everybody and they're going to be like, look what we discovered. We discovered plus size women and we're going to give you clothes. No, we've all been here. Right. You're just now creating a business model. Right. To work for us. And it's the same thing in beauty. You know, I am a dark skinned African-American woman. There was no foundation for me growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, if I wanted to wear a foundation, I needed to be three shades lighter because there just wasn't foundation for me. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, last year, Rihanna came out with 42 shades across the entire spectrum of foundation. And now every makeup line is going, well, we have 42 shades too. And it's like, again, you didn't discover anything. Right. You're just now seeing that the business model works and you're going to include us. The problem with that is, the problem with it from a consumer standpoint is that consumers are, are not seeing it as a positive. They're going, well, now you want to include us, but we don't want to be included. Well, you're just feeding the narrative that there's no money to be made there. So uh-huh. when I see things like, you know, a new line, including up to size 28 or 30, I applaud them because now they're seeing me. Yeah. And, you know, I'll give it a try. If it's garbage, I'm going to say it's garbage. But they're trying. And I think inclusion is a very important thing in the fashion and beauty um, industry. Inclusion. Its power cannot be underestimated. And Creole Essence is leveraging the power of inclusion in pretty interesting ways as it pertains to their supply chain. You know, the beauty industry, surprisingly enough, has actually been a forefront, at the forefront with really driving uh, that movement. You know, I think right now in, in 2018, we have customers further driving that movement and, and making sure that it, they're being more cognizant of what they use, how to use it, and what they're sort of injecting and placing on their bodies and on their skin, which is our largest organ. Um, you know, so I think further what society can further do is continue to drive some of those demands from brands, from 
um, the creators, and then, you know, also further educating themselves um, with regards to where your ingredients are being sourced from, what country, who are they essentially impacting and infecting. Um, you know, it's like, yes, you feel good, but can this purchase actually further impact the community? Can this purchase actually uh, uh, help break the cycle of poverty? Um, and, you know, it's, it's extremely exciting to be part of that that narrative. And, and you know, I'd like to say that, that, that we're essentially helping craft that narrative and, and being able to offer consumers an option to not only feel good about themselves, but also feel good about their purchase. For sure, man, for sure. And so what, what are some of those barriers, be they social, environmental, or economic, mm-hmm. to our society taking a more holistic approach, healthy approach to right. the beauty industry? No, for sure. I think number one is education. Um, you know, this is something that we, we are extremely adamant about. We're extremely focused of, of being transparent with our customers and say, okay, hey, this is castor oil that, that comes from, you know, uh, this particular region in Haiti. When we do shows, we actually show customers that, hey, this is a single ingredient product uh, that's known to help with hair growth, that's known to, uh, castor oil is loaded with what's called the cinnaleic acid. And um, the way that we source it, 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 you know, really with the hand method, the handcrafted method of the oil really helps it keep its, um, high level of fatty acids, which helps with the hair growth, um, moisturizing of the skin. So those are some of the things that we often like to tell customers and say, okay, hey, when you're looking for Ara bottles as a single ingredient, educating yourself with on the label, what's on the label, um, educating yourself with regards to you know what what else is is in the ingredient and what else would be helpful for your self care and your beauty journey. So the good news is that there is a heightened consciousness and a more sustainable way about going about delivering, creating, and sourcing beauty products. And I'm curious about what the motivation is, because we got a lot of big businesses here pushing these products, and philanthropy is not a part of their core mission. For example, take what happened with Nike's sponsorship of Colin Kaepernick this year. So for Nike to come in and and put his platform front and center, I applaud Nike for that. But don't think that we don't know that Nike made, you know, a million dollars, you know, last week. I haven't worn Nike in years. I went out and bought Nike with the Kaepernick thing. And I'm Uh like, only because, you know, I'm kind of petty and all these people burning their stuff just made me go out and buy some. But that's business. Right. Nike doesn't care if you burn your sneakers. You already bought those sneakers. Right. So with the whole Nike and Kaepernick thing, yeah, I applaud them for for what they what they did. I applaud them for taking a stand. I applaud them for, you know, all those things. But at the end of the day, they made a business decision. No doubt. Nike is not a social justice warrior. Lefties don't keep sporting Nikes. <laughs> And we're in an interesting time where there are a lot of corporations that are taking social responsibility into consideration, if not placing it central to their core mission, much like Creole Essence is doing. What's your social impact model? Is it, do you give a 10%? Do you give, you know, buy one, get one? For us, when we looked at the imperative need of the community in Haiti, what was needed at the time, it was job creation. You know, we wanted to be in the position to say, I'd rather offer you a sustainable 
job versus a 10% share, 5% share, not shares, uh, not in the investment term, but a 5% proceed donation. That is just temporary, right? It's it's not something that, you know, you can rely on 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 a week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year capacity. So we we sort of wanted to, you know, and not say that, hey, we're completely against with some of the great work that are being done by reputable uh, charitable organizations, but for us, we just wanted to go a different route with regards to our community and, and looking at what, and, and we, we did the work. I mean, we, a lot of the early trips was really talking to the farmers, talking to the women and identifying what is it that you need specifically? Um, how can this project better impact your life? Even though we're Haitian, Haitian American, we still did not, uh, wanted to shy away from this, notion that, you know, I'm college educated, I'm American educated, that I know better than you, and I'm coming out to just fix your life. Right. Um, our partners are very much well ingrained in, uh, you know, how we do things. I mean, sometimes they kick me out of the facility and say, no, 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 you're doing this incorrectly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we <laughs> empower them in that sense to, to say, okay, hey, you are very much a part of these decisions that we make to make sure that we're, we're, we're better impacting the, not only the agricultural sector, but also the commercial sector. Well, the beauty and makeup industries make great strides in their sourcing and supply chain, sustainability, inclusion efforts. It seems like the fashion industry still has a long way to go. The problem I see with fast fashion is just the remarkable amount of of throwaway that comes from it right you know fashion that doesn't sell you know what are we doing with that when i audit closets i try to take the clothes and repurpose them to new people um or repurpose them to shelters or things like that but if you really think about it when you throw away clothes what happens to them i mean that's that's the cog in the wheel you know of and the thing is is do you take care of your $150 dress better than you take care of your $25 dress? Absolutely. So when the $25 dress is done, out it goes. Yeah. My $150 dress, when it's done, I'm going to try to figure out what I can do to make it better. Uh Uh-huh. You know? Upcycle it. Yeah. 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 That's my, that's where I see the issue with fast fashion. And do you see any, uh, organization or any people out there that are taking a, a neat approach to recycling clothing? Not like really. Um, not on a mass scale, no. Do you see an opportunity, a business opportunity there? Yeah, there's a business opportunity there, but who's going to be responsible for that opportunity yeah. is the whole thing. It's like, because once you corp, once you, once you monetize the idea of people getting rid of clothing then or recycling clothing things like that then it takes then the the pc part of it is not there you know because then it's about business and you know i don't know so i haven't really like wrapped my mind around it what i do with my clothes when i'm done with it um both my parents were substance abusers who've been clean and sober for years, but they've been through um, treatment. So when women come out of drug use, they generally have put on a lot of weight. 
so they don't have clothes. So I take clothes from my closets or from clients' closets that are still in decent shape and I donate them to transitional homes because those are women who are starting from scratch. And if I can give them an opportunity to wear something that they're going to be able to get a job in or go to court in or whatever it is, then those are the opportunities I want to take. Overall, there's a lot of hope. The social and economic trends are pointing the fashion and beauty industry in the right direction. You know, one of the things that we often, I remember very early on when, you know, we were doing the pitches and just really educating uh, prospective investors and and retailers. You know, one of the stats that we often like to to remind folks is that 42% of millennials, um, you know, that that identify within our our demographic and our customer base are, are looking for products that, uh, you know, it's not just selling it to them, but it actually has a story and that it has a, a greater impact. Uh, you know, so you online consumers and shoppers are looking for brands that support a cause, that support uh, something that's more sustainable. And, and so, again, I'll, I'll credit the consumer base of just really developing that awareness um, and that consciousness of, of being mindful of where their products are coming from and how they're being sourced. Um, now, look, it's... I'm not going to say everything is pretty, right? It, it definitely comes with its complications with regards to to sourcing, with regards to timeline. And, right. you know, I, I wish sometimes it was just a matter of like, yeah, here's what I need done. You know, I don't care about where it came from. I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm going to market. Um, but, you know, I think for us, it, it, it's, it's a direct impact of our home. Um, it's a direct impact of our community. So we want to make sure that, look, if, if I can create this job and create a, a – an ecosystem of employees and a community that, you know, are happy every day going to work and producing these products that they take pride in. It's better for me as a brand owner. It's better for me as, you know, someone that's really looking to to impact change to make sure that that it's a holistic approach uh, to things. Um, You know, and I think that's also part of our personality and sort of like that that be the change that you wish to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, It's something that for me, I internalize well, both my partner uh, as well, we internalize that that mantra. Um, And, you know, just essentially want to see that carry through. Um, Yeah, it it comes with its challenges, absolutely. But, you know, I think the the consumer base is definitely responding well to it. Um, so as, as, as much as we look at our ROIs, our return on investment on the financial side, we also look at our, our return of impact, um, how many people that we hire, how many trees have we planted, you know, all those essentially is part of the, the overall viability of the product and, and uh, offering, you know, great products for the consumers as well. It's an inspiring story to hear you talk about the focus on the externalities, not just the internal functioning and pumping out of product. Um, Is there a larger movement within the beauty industry to make it more environmentally sustainable? Absolutely. And, and, you know, I I think when we started out, um, for us, it felt like it was a new thing. It's like, oh, my God, like, why are we doing this in the most complicated way? (laughs) 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 Like, are we the crazy ones here? But, you know, I think over the years... um, you know, like the other day I'm at the grocery store and I see some larger brand focusing on ingredients, focusing on, um, you know, where they source and they're, they're essentially really crafting their narrative around 
something that you know we've been working at for the past couple of years. So, so I think once you start seeing that, you 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 know that you're doing something correctly. Right. Um, so I, I I think holistically, I mean, one thing that I would love to see more is you know, with some of the larger brands is making sure, ensuring that, okay, hey, it's not just a marketing play, but it's also making sure that uh, along the full supply chain, those are things that are taken into consideration. Is it fair trade, you know, um, or, 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 or those that where the ingredient is, is being sourced from, that you're not over-cultivating some of these botanical ingredients. Um, and especially depending on where they're coming from around the world, you know. We're lucky that our castle seeds and our crop is essentially what's called the cash crop. So we can essentially making sure that any of the lands or plot of lands that we work on, uh, you know, the, 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 the plant itself actually regrows in, in about the three month time frame. And the castor seed itself actually helps to replenish the ground. So even if we use this plot of land, you know, for the next like 10 to 15 years on castor, we're doing a good job of really ensuring that the soil continues to be viable enough to plant food and to plant other crops down the line. Um, so that's something that I'd like to see in making sure that at least if we're moving back to this um, agrarian sort of sourcing, making sure that we're taking care of the land, we're taking care of, of the environment and not just, oh, botanical ingredients are the, the hottest craze right now. Let's just fuck up as much as we can. Right. Um, and then, you know, in the next 10, 15 years, we don't have this botanical ingredient anymore. And and communities where they're being sourced essentially get back to the drawing board, right? And and that, that sort of was, especially when you look at Africa and what happened in, you know, the, the, the 1800s and stuff, it essentially was just, okay, let me take as much as I can, leave, and you decimate an entire community by just taking what I want and, you know, making as much money off of it. Back to the fabulous and vivacious style by Malia. Right now, I'm very excited about inclusion. I'm excited about people including, you know, all sizes, Mm -hmm. all shapes, all colors, all, you know. I mean, I'm a size 11 shoe. I've been a size 11 shoe for a long time. There were places I couldn't go to buy shoes. Mm -hmm. Now shoe designers are going up to a size 13. Um, There's... You know, and some are going up to a size 15 and there's there's sort of um, interesting underlying fact about why women's shoes are getting bigger. And it has nothing to do with women's feet. It has to do with our trans community. And oh. so shoe designers are making larger shoe sizes because women who are transitioning or men who are transitioning have larger feet. Right. So, you know... And they have disposable income. You know, they want to, you know, buy these things. Yeah. So, but I also love the trend of custom clothing. Um, Haven't heard of this. So custom clothing. So there are companies out there that will make a a uh, design and then you tell them your measurements and then you can customize those things to fit your body. Okay. So this is like bespoke suits or? No. So like there's a company called Ishakti, which is, um, I believe they're a social justice company. Um, they source, I think women in India make their clothes. Um, and then, so what happens is, is they have a dress. Mm-hmm. You tell them 
what you want the neckline to look like. You tell them what you want the sleeves to look like. You tell them the length you want it. And then you tell them your measurements. And then you send it in. And then four weeks later, you get a dress that is exactly what you wanted. Whoa. And it's not expensive. Okay. There's a company, um, there's a shoe company where you can design your own shoe. They, they show you a style and you make, you tell them the, the fabric to put on it. You tell them the colors to make it. You tell them the heel height. You can add buckles. You can add all sorts of things. And it's called Shoes of Prey and you design your own shoe. Those are exciting things. Yeah. You know, things that you can customize and make your own. So whereas I could be standing next to my best friend wearing the exact same thing, how she designed it and how I designed it are completely different. Yeah. Um, so I love yeah. the idea of custom clothing or being able to customize my clothes. And it's there are lots of companies that do this. I couldn't let Malia go without giving myself and my audience some fashion advice. Um, I think that people should dress for their station in life, you know, dress for who you want to be and how you want to show up. And if that is, you know, it's kind of funny. There's a meme that's like, my boss told me to dress for the job I want. And I showed up looking like, you know, Wonder Woman. Um, (laughs) I dress like Wonder Woman every day. You know, and it doesn't have to be literal. You know, yeah. I just bought these amazing red boots and they're my favorite thing ever. And I've been wearing them everywhere. People are calling them my Wonder Woman boots. They're just boots. But to me, they rock. And so I want to show up in the world, you know, and some days you just need to put on your Wonder Woman boots to get the job done. But really, it's about showing up for your life mm-hmm. and showing up in a way that is authentic to you. Um, and I don't care if that is jeans and flip-flops or ball gowns. It has to be authentic to you and you need to dress for the life that you want to live. For me, I get up every day and go, how do I get to show up today? What do I get to be? How do I get to be? And, you know, there are days where I know that something stressful is going to happen. I dress for the stress, you know? Uh, there are days where I know I just don't want to do this, you know? And I dress for that, you know, but I show up authentically every single day, Yeah. you know, and that's how, that's, that's all I want for people is for them to show up their most authentic self. For more information or to follow Malia, check her out on Instagram at style by Malia. That's Malia, M-A-L-I-A, or Google her. She's got a website. She's all over the internet. Creolescence as well. You can pick up their awesome products at Whole Foods. And you can follow them at Instagram at Creolescence. K-R-E-Y-O-L Essence. They've got some awesome photos of Stefan and Nisgard traveling around Haiti. And beautiful displays of all their products that are meant for all of the people. talking with these two innovators i really gotta say i think the future is a heck of a lot brighter than the past when it comes to fashion and beauty both from a sourcing standpoint but also from a humanist standpoint the future of fashion and the future of beauty 
looks more inclusive, looks more sustainable financially, economically, and most importantly, it looks more human. A big thanks to my buddy Jay Lately for providing the music and the sponsorship of the Onward podcast. Jay Lately is a hip-hop artist out of Oakland who dedicates his time to enriching the lives of youth in Oakland and around the states through his music, through his words, and through his poetry. Interested in sponsoring the podcast yourself? Get at me, dwinesveg at gmail.com. That's D-W-E-I-N-Z-V-E-G. And last but certainly not least, a huge thanks to all my listeners, all my followers, and all my supporters. Make sure to subscribe to Onward at soundcloud.com backslash onward. Find us at the iTunes podcast store or Anchor FM. And if you would be so kind as to leave a review, a little words, a few stars go a long way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Onward. Until next time, onward and upward. Onward.